up right now. Nah, I left her home.
so I'm getting excited, so I put it on my plate. And walnuts. Yeah.
Anything on your mind before we get started? else? No, I haven't heard anything at all. Also are going to have an outreach at their farm. 
farm that they have every year. It's at Barati Farms on Slate Settlement. If you have young kids, it's an awesome outreach event to attend. There's no charge. There's tons of activities and food and, and fellowship. And, you know, we're not just under one roof. We're, we're of the world. And it's a, it's a good Christian outreach function to attend on Saturday if you can. Okay. Anything else? All right, let's have a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we look to you when we need your help, and we come to you because we always have our hand out. We know that, and we ask that you will consider these things, Lord, on our list today. Pray for Pat Lobbish. We know that test result comes tomorrow. That will decide a lot of things. So we pray for the right result. We ask you to help her through these times as she's shaken by that. And Lord, we've heard a lot about people with cancer tonight. People, young people, older people, people struggling with that disease. And we know that they are in a battle and need your help. So we pray that all of these folks that we've mentioned here tonight would find some guidance and strength, doctors to do their best, and uh, that you would provide daily sustenance for their souls. For Linda that's in the hospital, we pray for her, that you can help her. And for Julia, whose son has COVID, we pray that you'll help her. We know we're happy to see her here. We ask you to free her up so that she can soon be back here. And for our older folks, for Fern and for Maxine's mom and for uh, Frank and for Aggie, we pray for those folks, Lord, as they <coughs> come to the time of life when things are more of a struggle. We ask for help for them and that they will also have your hand with them along life's road. And for Lynn with the Parkinson's disease, we know that that's a tough one and we pray for help for her as she has those moments that she can Think about that and trust in you. And so help, Lord, with those things. And for our nurses that are struggling <clears throat> and fighting, Lord, it seems unfair. We ask for uh, some good resolution. We know it's a crazy world out there. It's hard to know which way to go. And we ask for help for those people who are in that battle, Lord. And all the things that people struggle with, we know that you can be a help and you are a strength to us, and we ask that you will provide help and strength, Lord, in these ways. We look to you for the things we need. We believe in you. And now I ask that you will help us as we study your word to make us wise, to understand it, and that we might know who you are and begin to take into our hearts the things you have done for us. So bless us as we study, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're in the book of Romans, continuing through that, on chapter numbers 4 and 5, chapters number 4 and 5 of Romans. And to catch up where we left off, we talked about last week two systems, there was an old system it was called the law and the new system. 
that Paul said was based on faith. And he said under the old system, uh, it was a struggle. They did their best. But he said the new system was based on faith and that God would assign to us righteousness. Assign to us that we were righteous, that we were free from sin and forgiven. And then he said this new system, where we left off last week, actually goes back to Abraham, which makes it older than the old system. <laughs> so that was a curveball he threw to us, trying to get us to think a little harder about things. And he says, uh, really, if you want to discuss it, he says, the idea of believing in God, and that's it, goes way back to Abraham. Actually, it goes back to the very beginning of time. Anybody who was ever right with God was right because they believed. They had faith. Now these people who made their sacrifices and followed all the rules, they were doing what they knew to do. <coughs> but when you get right down to it, if they were forgiven, it wasn't because of the blood of an animal. There's a song hymn book in your hymn book, not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away. Sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. And so uh, the idea that you could take a lamb's blood and be forgiven because of it, he said that could never really be true as we said, it was a credit slip that you held, waiting for the blood of the Most High God to be shed. And so, this is really the gospel story. Paul said, I'm here, here to tell you the gospel. And we're unfolding it as we go along. And so, <clears throat> we're going to go back to the concept of faith and pick it up where we left off in chapter 4. The idea of what it means to have faith. And I think that this is very, very helpful to us. As I want to know, do you believe in God or not? Do you believe in God or not? That's the question. Here's somebody who believed. And so we're in chapter 4, Romans, verse 17. God speaking to Abraham, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead and called those things which be not as, as though they were. All right, And so here's God who could raise the dead and who could say to Abraham, you're going to have a great big family. And he didn't have any children. <laughs> he didn't have any children. You're going to have a great big family. You believe that? Well, it's not looking good so far, would Abraham say. Because I'm getting pretty old, and let's see how it was. Verse 18, who against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And God said, you're not just going to be the father of a family or a tribe, you're going to be the father of many nations. Not even just one nation, many nations. And he said that was against hope, or really against logic, to believe that that was true. 
All right, 19, not being weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So Abraham's faith, one of the things is based on he's 100 years old. <laughs> How many people do you know that are 100? Anybody got relatives that are 100? No. Got a couple of them out there. I've known a few people into their hundreds. Hundred year old, you're you're an old. You're old. That's it. You're old. All right. And his wife is ninety. His wife is ninety. His wife Sarah is ninety. And God said, "You're gonna have a baby." <laughs> and that's exactly what Sarah did, because God came right to Abraham's tent and talked to him. He said, well, the next year, by the next year, you'll have that baby. And it says Sarah was laughing. She was behind the door. I <laughs> can't be. Because she's 90 and he's 100. And whatever it takes to do that is gone. He says it's dead. All right, it's dead. All right, verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So God promised Abraham, you're going to have a child. And he said, I know you can do it. I believe you can do it, which is remarkable. All right. I mean, if we were told something like that, We'd say no. I'd say no. It's not possible. And with Abraham, it's particularly uh, an amazing fella because he does have a boy at a hundred years old, and it's a wonderful thing, right? His wife's ninety; he's a hundred. He has a boy, Isaac. There's the one that God promised and waited a long time to get it. But now he's there. And then God said to him one day, I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. Okay, I will. Just like that. And he took him to sacrifice him. And it says he got so far as he tied him up, laid him on the altar, grabbed the knife, and pulled the knife back. It's done. In his mind, he did it. And... He said, well, how could he ever do that? That's the promised son. He said, because God promised that's the son, if I kill him, only one thing, he's got to raise him back from the dead. So it's God's job. If he wants me to kill him, I'll kill him. And I, he's the promise. So, so that's a lot of faith in God. That's a lot of confidence in God that he was able to do whatever. Verse 22, therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness, or God assigned Abraham because he believed with all his heart, he assigned him to be righteous, forgiven. Alright, and verse uh, <coughs> 23, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. You too have been assigned a righteousness, you're right with God, uh, to, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. So it says, you have something to believe, and of course what you've got to believe, God's assigning righteousness to you, is that Jesus died, 
and rose again. You got to believe that. And not that it's a fact, but that I believe that he assigns to me righteousness. He says he's a righteous. I've forgiven him. I've made him right inside. And that's important. So faith is an essential element. And uh, there's a boundless confidence that we should have in God that should never fail. That's the important thing. And realize that how we're going to make it in this world is that. That's how we're going to come out right. right? By having boundless faith in God. You've got to really put your faith in Jesus Christ. And to be honest with you, we can live a lot of life without doing that. We can go through life and kind of get along without really having a confidence in God. And someday, something will come along and you're going to need it. Huh? You're going to need it. Something will come that will say, can you handle this? I don't know about that. We just had these talks about people with cancer and people with this and that. And, uh, and there's time when we really need to believe. And you can make a time. When we started this church, uh, we really had to believe in God. And I remember when I was having the first conversations about buying this building, and the guy said to me that I was talking to, he said, uh, well, you must have somebody in that group with some money. <laughs> I said, no, we got anybody like that. I didn't tell him that. Because I said, I'm not worried about money. You've got to have a confidence in God that he can do it. And he proved that he could do it. And so uh, we're going go on now to chapter 5. Paul, because he's a lawyer, tells us a lot of things as we go along. And then all of a sudden he gives us one of those punchlines. And here's one of these punchlines. He is changing your mind. He's changing the way you think. All right? He has controlled your brain from the first verse that we read. And he is doing it on purpose because he's trying to uh, get you to feel a certain way. And then he's going to switch it over. So you're going to have an emotional response to what he said. Right, and we're going to see here, he's just about to turn the switch. Here we go. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he started off and, he, and with the question was, uh, tell us what's going on with the human race, with God, and with the problem between us and God. And he said, well, here's where we're going to start. He said, I want to tell you, God is angry. Wow. <laughs> that sends a little chill down our spine. We're going to start with that? Yeah, we're going to start with that. God's angry. Well, not at me. <laughs> you sure? God will judge, he says. God will judge. 
he's angry, he's going to carry it out, he will judge the human race. How does that feel? Uh, got me trembling. Right? Even with all that I've studied in my whole lifetime, and all I know, I'm still afraid of that. I'm still afraid of it. I just think when you see him, you're going to say, oh, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. And I still think that is part of my thinking. God is angry. He's going to judge people. And that was the first couple of chapters as he impressed on us. And it was because of man's rebellion. Men rebelled against God. It was a full-blown rebellion. And we talked about sin. That's really the only way to look at sin. It's not a mistake. It's not a bad habit. It's rebellion. God says, this is what we, I need you to do. And he says, I don't want to do it. All right, it's rebellion. So because of man's rebellion, God is angry. And then he goes on in chapter 3 to convince us of something entirely different. He says, all have sinned. All have sinned. So, by the time you get to the end of chapter 3, you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is a horrible book. This Romans is terrible. Tell me God's angry at me. He's got to judge the world. The world is in full rebellion, and you're in it. You did it. All right, so how is... <laughs> now we're going to turn that around. We're going to switch that around. And he's going to say, I want you to look on the other side now. You ready? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, I want you to say we have peace with God. That's a really happy thing to have peace with God. Why? Because the first thing we learn that God is angry with. Now he says, okay, now we're going to go back and explain what happened when Jesus died on the cross. And this is the gospel, like we said, the gospel. Jesus died on the cross, and uh, this is what he accomplished when he died and rose again. He turned the whole tide of it around. And he says, so now you can be at peace with God. You don't have to be uh, uh, nervous. You don't have to feel the stress of being opposed to God and the dangerous point of that. He said, now you've got peace with God. That's a very good thing. I like peace. I love peace. I love peace in my house. I love peace anywhere I can get it. And so there is forming, because of what Jesus did, a new relationship. There's a new relationship. As this begins to unfold, the first thing is you have peace. That should take away your stress. All right, verse 2. By whom also we have access 
by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. All right, so we now have been granted access. That is, this new relationship says you can come, you can be with God, you can be friends with God, you can have a relationship with God. All right, that's a good thing. All right, and, and that's what he wants us to have. And we're looking forward uh, to a wonderful future. We have a future with God. All right. It's a good thing we got peace before we get there. All right. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Because if we didn't have peace with God and we get there, well, what future glory have we got? You don't have any future glory. If you have peace with God, then we have it. Now, verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience is hope. Got that? Know what all that means? (laughs) This new relationship, we always look forward to the future because it's wonderful. The Bible paints us a wonderful picture. It's in almost every hymn we sing. Almost every hymn has at least one reference in it to the future. When we see Jesus, when we die, we go to heaven. It's a common theme among Christians. But he says it's for now, right now. There's a relationship right now. And he says, right now, you got troubles, right? Yeah, we got troubles and trials. So now he says we've got trials. Tribulation, troubles in this world. He says, This joy and hope is also for right now. If we take life in the right spirit, so your trouble comes along, God, what'd you do that for? (laughs) <laughs> I've had people, I go in a hospital to visit somebody and say, I want to know why God put me here. I don't think God put you here. I don't think that's what happened. You know, God didn't put you here. You're human. <laughs> and so you're subject to various things. You're subject to trials and troubles in this life. It's a normal part of living. We have Uh, difficulties in life, but he says, now, if you have the right attitude towards life, you can have a peaceful life, even in the middle of troubles and trials, he says, because they will work, tribulation worketh patience. So, uh, if you are thinking right, you'll begin to have a patient endurance about our lives, and learn to patiently endure what goes on. Right? How are you doing with that so far? You okay with that? We ought to learn to patiently take what comes along. That's what he's telling us. And then the second thing he says, uh, it, that patience worketh experience. So you'll be experienced. Everybody experienced in life? Maybe not. 
It's a mature character. There's a mature character. Alright? So, patience in life. If we're at peace with God, we're going to be patient through life's troubles, not get all tied up in knots all the time. We're going to be patient through that. And because we endure patiently, whatever comes our way, then there's a mature character that's developed by us. We have a mature character, which is experience. And experience uh, brings hope. Because, and so we have hope that what? That this life is going to be all right. God's going to help us through. He, we have hope that that can happen. All right? And that's a patience that changes our nature, helps us to have a more mature opinion. And then we can have hope for life as it is right now. And that means we have a boundless confidence in God. Say, but I'm having trouble. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. God will get us through. You're not the first people in the world to ever have trouble. You're not the first Christians to ever have trouble. Christians live underground in Rome. You know, we don't live underground. They lived underground in the catacombs to escape being killed. All right. So people have had lots of troubles in life and still believed in God. And he says, so this peace that you have with God, you say, well, I know the future when I leave this world is going to be good. No, I know right now it's going to be all right. You're going to help me now. God isn't a God who says, well, when you're all done down there, come on up. We'll have a party. No, he says, I'm here with you now. I'm going to help you now guide you through right now. And so he says this new relationship with God has come up. Now we get all of a sudden an amazing change. Verse 5, hope maketh not ashamed because of the love of God. And you say, well, I'm hoping life's going to be okay. <laughs> you should be ashamed for thinking that? No. Here's why. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, there's a drastic change, all right? There's a new thing. We have the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, he's been given to us, and he's come into our hearts. And we have now flooding through our hearts the love of God. We feel it. We feel that he loves us. He's inside of us. Impressing on us that he loves us. So, so I thought he was angry with us and wanted to judge us. Yeah, so what did Jesus do? He really changed things. So you can be at peace with God and then you're going to be overwhelmed Love of God shed abroad, poured out, flowing out of us. The love of God inside of us. You're going to begin to experience the love of God in a new one. The new relationship is about experiencing the love of God. All right. So, what Jesus did on the cross. We think about God. We say that God is 
three in one, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, uh, God the Father sent the Son into the world, and the Son paid the price of sin. And then the Son went back to the Father and said, I paid the price, and he accepted it. Jesus goes up, remember we looked at the song, five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary, they pour effectual prayers, they strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry, nor let the ransomed sinner die. The Father hears him pray, his own anointed one. He cannot turn away the presence of his son. With confidence I now draw. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. Now we can go into God and say, you accepted Jesus' sacrifice. He said, yes, I did. I accepted it completely. And because of it, you're invited in. So we're sure, well, okay, but how are we going to feel about that? He said, the third person of the Trinity, I mean, he's not really third, we just have found that way of speaking of them. The Holy Spirit of God has been sent now into the world to come inside and live in our hearts. That didn't happen before quite the way it does right now. And so God came into the world through the Holy Spirit, came in our hearts, and he's in there saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Sometimes I look in a mirror and I think, it's hard for me to think he loves me. Look at that guy there. Look at him. He loves me. And it's just overwhelming when you stop to think about it sometimes. You know, we look around the room. Everybody always says, East Shelby's full of characters. Good. I hope so. Because we got one right here, and then there's all of you, too. All right? Uh, we're all characters. We're all unique in some different way. God it said, I want to pour my love into you so you can feel it. Now the whole thing, God is angry, is definitely changing, isn't it? It's drastically changing now to become something entirely different. Now the Spirit is in our hearts saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And we feel God's love flooding into us. And so the gospel is the son dying for us, the father accepting the sacrifice, and then sending out into the world the spirit to fill our hearts, to flood us with a loving embrace. I want you to know I love you. All right, and you say, well, <clears throat> you know, people say, tell your, when your wife says uh, she loves you, tell her to prove it. Right? Or vice versa if needs be. And I think that's a good one. <laughs> Here's proof. Ready? Here's proof. Verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. All right, so... Some guy is a perfect example of human 
nature. He's a wonderful man. I don't need to die for him. <laughs> All right. You know, but if we had to, and there are good people that we might dare to die to, but verse 8, God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were opposed to him, when we didn't want to know him, when we could keep him out of our thoughts, forget about God, he went and died for us when we didn't care. When we weren't concerned, he went and died for us. And so there's a proof that God loves us. Verse 9, much more than now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So when we were against God, enemy of God, he went ahead and died for us anyway. And so it's proof that he loves us. So if he died for us when we were sinners, certainly when we get reconciled to him and make ourselves right with God, what is he going to do? He's going to embrace us. He's going to pour into us life, he says. We're going to be saved by his life. And 11, not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So, it went from uh, angry, judge, and rebellion, and now it's gone to peace in the future, and peace today as we go through life's struggles, and we are to have joy in God and the love of God is poured out in our hearts, and that's a brand new relationship that you can have with God. It's available to you, and it's a really good thing to be friends with God. It's a wonderful thing to be friends with God, to be in a right relationship with God. So how did the whole thing start? How do we get in this mess? Anyway, verse 12. Therefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. You see the parenthesis? You got a parenthesis in the beginning of verse 13 in your Bible. You see it goes down to verse 17. That's all a parenthesis in there. So it's a thought within a thought. So when you're reading it, it's a little hard to shift gears and get to where he wants to go. Uh, but he's saying uh, that, well, let's take a look. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned at the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one... Many be dead, much more the grace of God, the gift of God, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. So, let's see if we can get his point across here. Um, he said, there was a time, there was a time, we started with Adam, and we went to Moses. When Moses came, God gave the law. And so from Adam to Moses, he said, uh, people 
didn't have a set of rules that said you can't do this and you can't do that. So, how did they know what was right and wrong? Well, they had a conscience. Right? They had a conscience. And when uh, Abel killed Cain, or Cain killed Abel, his brother, uh, uh, and God said, what are you doing? He said, where's your brother? I don't know. I'm not supposed to watch him today, what he said. I'm not here to watch him today. I'm not my brother's keeper. In other words, he had a guilty conscience. And so in the beginning, sin was based on that. Then when Moses came along, it came the law and said, Thou shalt not. This is it. I'm going to tell you what's wrong now so you have no excuse. All right? But he said, starting with Adam, one man brought sin into the world. One man. Well, that's not fair, is it? He did it, not me. He did it, not me. Why is that like that? How did it come to be that way? He said, well, it's okay. Because there's one other man, Jesus Christ, who came along and brought grace. Jesus brought grace, or free gifts, into the world. So, Adam brings sin into the world, and as we say, it's his fault. Well, I think <laughs> that's, that's an interesting thought. Here's what the Bible says about Adam. It says that Satan came to Eve and tempted her. And he told her a lie. And the lie was, Look, you want to be like God? Just eat that fruit over there on that tree. Well, we're not supposed to. God knows. He's just trying to keep you down. You eat that tree and you'll have knowledge like God. So he told a lie. All right? He told the lie to Eve. But the Bible says Adam was not deceived. Hmm. So Eve believed Satan's lie, said to Adam, let's eat this fruit. And Adam shook his head. Mm -mm. This ain't going to make me like God. He was not deceived by what Satan said. Right. But he ate it anyway. Proving what? Rebellion. Rebellion. So he didn't grab that piece of fruit and say, this is going to make me like God. Here we go. He picked that fruit up and he said, eh, this isn't going to make me like God. But you're eating it and I'm eating it. Here we go. And it was rebellion against God. And I believe that when you say sin came into the world through Adam, that the rebellious spirit against God is what we inherited. It is natural for us to rebel against God. 
Did you ever have to teach your children to do wrong? <laughs> Any of them? They figured that out all by themselves, didn't they? They knew what was wrong, and they did it. All right? We didn't have to teach them that. They knew that. All right? Because rebellion is part of human nature, passed down from Adam all the way down through us. So Adam brought sin into the world when he outright rebelled and ate that fruit. All right? And so from Adam, one man, he says, uh, brought into the world sin. Now verse 17. If by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. All right, so the way we view the human condition is that we inherited from Adam, one man, we inherited from him a natural rebellion against God. That's what came to us from being human. Jesus comes into the world. He says, now I'm going to turn that around. And from me, you'll inherit life. Eternal life. Uh, you're going to have the free gift. And that's what he mentions here. Grace. You have that grace, which are the free gifts of God. And that came... Through Jesus Christ. How do we get in this mess? We're human. We're born humans. And how are we going to get out of this mess? Another human, Jesus Christ, came and turned it all around. That's the gospel message, which Paul said he's here to proclaim. Now, let's go on a little bit more. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners... So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Wow. Wow. This may be better than all of this. <laughs> it may be better than all of this. He says, uh, one man came... And the law entered. Adam came and he sinned. He had natural rebellion in his heart. Why, why did God do that anyway? Why did God do that anyway? Because God's always done that. He made angels, fantastic creatures, much superior to you and I. All right? Angels are really something. Uh, and he made these fantastic creatures and gave them the right to choose, will you follow me or not? And some of them said, no, not going to. And they will be cast into a place made for them. And they said the lake of fire was made for the devil and his angels. And so that... God created people the same way. You can decide yes or no. 
You could say, yes, I'm for God. No, I'm not for God. Yes, I want to believe. No, I don't want to believe. I refuse to accept it. And you can say it too. Why did he do that? Why didn't he just say, I'm going to make you love me? Because you can't make anybody love you. Ever try? <laughs> I remember I was acquainted with somebody who was a nasty, rotten old fella. And I'm being cautious. Nasty, miserable, rotten old fella. I remember he came up to Uncle Ed's when I was there. He had grandchildren with him. And I said, hey, kids, come on, jump on the wagon. We'll take a ride through the woods. He said, they can't go. Okay. Unless they come and kiss me. And that little girl, she did not want to do that. And my heart was broken. He said, you come and kiss me if you want that ride. And she finally did. She finally did, because she wanted to ride. She didn't love him. She hated him. I gave the longest ride in the history of the world. I said, we're going to go until dark, honey. We're not going back there unless we, unless we finally have to. So we took a long, long ride. You can't force people to love you, and God knows that. And he wants people to love him. And so he gave us the right to choose if we would love him, all right, if we would love him. And so that relationship that we have to be all wound up and tied up in love. And then he says, here's how it works. The law, thou shalt not, was given so that as soon as you said, yes, I shall, you were clearly and obviously wrong. And that's what the Old Testament law did. It said, you're wrong. You're wrong. So the law magnified the offense. All right, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Wow. I, I just, I can't, some things you can't explain. This is one of the things I can't explain. Where sin abounded, all right, in the human race, sin abounds. Look around you. There's no mystery. There's defiance on every hand. There's anti-God on every hand. You got the governor of the state saying, come and be my apostle. Guess what? I ain't your apostle, honey. All right, the world's full of that. All right, but he says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So that statement, that very statement, uh, is an amazing statement. So you, yourself, I, myself, here's the question. How many sins have you done? Now, 
Can you count? Well, you could count. You can't remember them because there's so many, right? Yeah, I know. I know. But if you could go through your life, day by day, you could count. I did this, I did that. And, uh, say, how high is the number? <laughs> it's rolling up there. It's rolling up and getting pretty high. But there is a number. Now, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. How much is God willing to pour his love into our hearts and forgive us? There is no number. It's infinite. And so he can say where sin abounded. I can count my sins. There's a million, ten million, I don't know. 100 million, whatever. But there's a whole lot more grace than that pouring down out of heaven. And so what we have is this overwhelming power coming from the heart of God saying, I got more grace than you got sin. I got more love than you got uh, rebellion. I got more, I got more, I got more. So it's an extremely powerful thing what he just said. And we say, well, you have peace with God. Whew. I'm glad he's not mad at me anymore. You want to have a relationship with God? Yes, I do. All right, I'm coming in your heart, and I'm going to pour love into you so you'll know your love. Proof of it, I died when you hated me. Okay, all right, okay. But now let me tell you where sin abounds, where it's overwhelming, where the world is full of it, there is much infinitely more grace. Infinitely, infinitely more. So it's an extremely powerful force uh, coming from God towards us is the overwhelming abundance of grace infinitely poured out from the heart of God. And it's just amazing that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he says, I'm going to pour out uh, in this powerful force of grace. The giving nature of God overwhelms all of our shortcomings and just gets poured and poured and poured out, poured out all around us. And so it becomes a powerful force. And then it is necessary for you and I to get this force, get a hold of it, and let's use it, shall we? We've got an endless source of power coming from God in this abundant grace that he's pouring out. What are we going to do with it? Well, I'm going to wash my heart every day. Why not? <laughs> There's plenty, you know. You know. There was times in our lives where we had to watch how much water we used. And maybe none of you have ever experienced that. But, you know, we had a cistern in the back. And we got water out of the cistern. There's times when you take a bath and just put a little on the bottom of the tub. Don't be using all the water. I can wash in a full tub every day at abundance of grace. 
abundance of grace. We can have all, all that we ever wanted. Well, use it. Use it for yourself. But most of all, we turn it towards others. We say, hey, look. You want peace with God? Are you miserable? Are you stressed out in this world? We got something. We got more grace than they can make stress. Huh? We got more grace than they can create tension and stress and they can turn people against each other and they can make people hate each other for almost no reason at all. Oh, we got more grace to overwhelm all that. You get yourself hooked up with Jesus and it has an overwhelming flow. And so there is in this gift a tremendous power. And that's why the gospel is good news. We're saying to people around us, hey, you don't have to be stressed. You don't have to be miserable. You don't have to go on like this. Um, there's an overwhelming power. God's grace, it will easily defeat evil. It will easily overcome these things. And they come rushing into your life and you never use it up. There's always more, always more. So now, see, what do we got now? We got a whole new opinion about God, Right? We started out with that kind of dark, that God, he's angry and hard to get along with. And, you know, the things I did on that list, remember that list? Things that we did wrong. Things on that list I did, boy, I'm worried about it now. He says, look, I'm going to change your opinion about God. I'm going to make you overwhelmingly confident in the goodness of God and what he's done for us. And so that he's filling us up with love. You know, where'd the anger go? He replaced it with love and poured it into our hearts. And so what are we going to do? Don't worry. Grace will much more abound in your life. And you'll be able to go through trials and troubles and create a mature character so that God can use us as we are. So the old opinion of God uh, because of our defiance is being changed now. And in chapter 5, we, we have now formed a new opinion about God, overwhelmingly different from what we started with. And so Romans has taken us kind of that roller coaster ride, isn't it? Started, whoa. And now we're, hey, this is great. It gets better. It gets better. And listen to what we've said tonight. That's amazing. I'm telling you, it gets better. We're going to deal with some of the issues that we face. All right. Which is, well, I feel like I do wrong still. Yeah, you do. We've got to deal with that. We've got to think about that. All right. And that's coming. And that's a real issue. We're going to have to think about that and deal with that. But then we're going to get to chapter 8, and we're going, to write, we're going right by the moon. Never mind going to the moon. We're going right by the moon. We're going all the way up to who knows where, heaven itself. It is such a powerful uh, chapter, chapter 8, that it stands as maybe the best written 
passage in the New Testament and maybe the whole Old Testament. It's real close. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going. And then we're going on a, we're going on a ride that night. Hang on. It may take two nights because we may have to refuel to get as high as we want to go. All right, Romans chapter 8 is fantastic. And that's where we're going to the, the highest point. And now our opinion of God being changed, and we're beginning to feel warmth and love towards him. Uh, once we iron out a couple problems, then off we go. Hang on for your life. We're going to have the time of our life. Great book, Romans, right? Like I said, if you get it, if you get this, you've got the whole Bible, theme of the Bible, in your mind. i got to stop. Thank you.